0: Matthew 16 verse 13 When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying whom do men say that I the son of man everybody's talking so what who do they say I am verse 14 and they said some say that thou art John the Baptist some say you're Elias and others Jeremiah or so one of the prophets and he saith unto them but whom say ye that i am you've been with me all this time who do you think i am verse 16 and simon peter answers right away and says thou art the christ the son of the living god and jesus answered and said unto him blessed art thou simon Barjona, for flesh and blood had not revealed it unto thee but my father which is in heaven and i say also unto thee that thou art peter and not upon you but upon this truth upon this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it jesus says something that is is uh, brand new you never find it anywhere else he introduces a new word it's called church he says i will build something called the church it's only spoken of here matthew chapter 16 and then again one more time in matthew 18 and then you don't hear about it at all until acts chapter 2 and pow it just explodes churches go everywhere so, we want to find out what is a church. We want to find out how important is the church. It's kind of like asking, can I ask, how important is the family? The more they destroy the concept of the family, the faster our society falls apart, doesn't it? How important is it that people know what a family is? How important is it for people to know they need both mommy and daddy? Not two daddies or two mommies, but they need a family. Family. Jesus says the church is important as well. And then I want to try to discuss how Jesus is building his church. So let's talk about the concept, this idea, of the church. Uh, when he uses the word church, he's speaking about something called an assembled group of born-again believers in Jesus. That word assembled is, is paramount, is most important. We'll talk about it another time. But it comes from a, a Greek word. and If you ever, uh, and I'm not a... Uh, you know, into the Greek and and no need to show off or anything. But there is a very powerful meaning to this new word that Jesus uses called ekklesia. That's the Greek word. And ekklesia is the word that Jesus used that means an assembly of people who have been called away from their work, from their family, from sleep, from busyness, from problems and from the world to be like Jesus. So if you imagine the word ekklesia means a called out assembly. That's what the word church means, which means this. In the old days, you didn't have alarms or, or um, uh, mobile phones or internet. You had a town crier, you ever hear of that? And that guy at appointed times or when things were ne- necessary, would come and would announce very loudly, hear ye, hearly, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, you must assemble now, get here now. And people would stop whatever they're doing and they would all assemble in a courtyard or whatever and he had something to say. And Jesus said, that's my church. I want you to hear the call that you stop what you're doing and you stop what you're struggling with and wherever you are and you assemble and you say, talk to me, God. I want to be like your son. And that is what the church is. It is is called out from whatever we're doing so that we assemble and we become more and more like Jesus. Now the church is described in lots of different ways in the Bible. Um, in Acts chapter 2, it's busy, it's unified, it's local, it's powerful. Uh, they love Jesus. This, this church is, is, is amazing. In Ephesians chapter 4 and 6, it's described as an army that has been gifted and prepared and equipped to win a spiritual war. In Ephesians chapter 3, it's described like a bride glorifying her husband, honoring her husband, and the church honors Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 describes the church as a complex assembly of believers who exist as parts of one body working together for the better of the whole. And as we're going here this morning in 1 Peter 2, The church is described as a living temple on earth today. And I'm going to start with that concept this morning. Um, This concept of the temple. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. 1 Corinthians 3 16 says, Know ye not. Now that's a good question. Do you know? 1 Corinthians 3, 16, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So um, there there are different temples in the Bible. Solomon built a massive temple, uh, got destroyed. Here, Christians are are described as a temple with the Holy Spirit living in them but there is also and I need to go to Ephesians go to the right find Ephesians chapter 2 and there's another temple described Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 and it's the group of Christians who are committed to being a church they're called a temple Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says this now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with all the saints, and of the household of God, the family of God, 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, notice that word built, verse 21, in whom all the building, fitly framed, no gaps, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. How many of you don't know those two facts, that you are the temple of the living God and that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you right now? I know you know the Holy Spirit. uh, I know you know it uh, about the Holy Spirit, but how many of you realize he lives inside of you? He's that other voice. When you were younger, you kind of squelched your conscience. You, you, You ignored your parents. But since you've been saved, there's another voice inside of you, pulling you, pushing you, talking to you, quietly, persistently directing you. Um, so I wanna, we're going to talk about a church being a temple under construction, and it's very, very amazing. So when you think of a church, don't think of plaster, don't think of mortar, don't think of, of bricks and blocks and wood and steel. Think about people in the hands of a builder named Jesus. So, um, how construction begins? Look in chapter, uh, go, look in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Right after the book of Hebrews comes 1 Peter chapter 1. How does construction begin in God's temple? Uh, Solomon began with some plans given to him by David and Solomon cleared an area and started building the temple well how does god's temple today get built first peter chapter 1 verse 23 being born again now we'll start this because in chapter 2 he'll start to describe the building process but it starts with a clearing process so if i wanted to build a house say if i uh, bought it a piece of property and it's kind of on a hillside overlooking river lee and it's all beautiful everything but i can't just go and Usually, just can't just drop a house down on that piece of property. I got to clear it out, don't I? I got to level it, got to put foundation, um, uh, got to make a driveway. There's a lot of clearing out, and the first thing to be part of the temple that God is building right now is you got to be born all over again, got to start all over. There's a clearing that has to take place that starts all over. Being born again, not of your family, not of your parents, of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. You're born again by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So construction begins by starting over. Uh, There is no church without people getting saved from sin. Church is not, hey, come to this building that's not church if I had a building that was full of just people that does not equal to church does it those people in that church if you're going to have a church you're gonna to have to have saved people doesn't that make sense people are gonna to have to hear the gospel to get saved or else you don't have a church all you have is a gathering of sinners people who are lost so construction begins with a whole new life secondly it abandons the old us look at chapter two verse one wherefore laying aside now look at these hard attitudes malice and guile hypocrisies envies and evil speakings so to follow Jesus something's got to be let go of Peter calls it laying some things aside Uh, you may remember the, the time when uh, there was a man named Bartimaeus in Jericho. Bartimaeus hears Jesus is coming, and Bartimaeus cries out, Have mercy on me, have mercy on me, and Jesus calls for him. He's on the other side of the road, and it says he was wearing what are called beggar clothes, blind men's clothes that were wretched. He, he did not wear good clothes. He did not have fine clothes because he lived on the charity of others, which was pretty skimpy. So he had desperately tattered and and poor clothes when Jesus called him it says he lay aside those beggar clothes which is tremendous because he believed at that moment Jesus is going to fix me and when he crossed that street he had his underwear on but he crossed that street and Jesus gave him his sight and from that moment he never went back and picked up those old clothes and the same is true when we get saved there's some things we're going to have to leave behind us And Peter lists some very strong words, notice it. Malice, you probably don't use that word, but that is a very important word. Malice is that attitude, that desire to hurt someone out of revenge because they've hurt you, malice. And there's not one of us that doesn't have those times where we just And Peter says, put it aside. That's how we used to live, guile. Again, it's an older word, Uh, we still use it today about how, you know, beguiling eyes and things like this. But to, to guile is to deceive, put on a show. And I know nobody here puts on a show, do you? You never are, you always are transparent. You're as real as the day is long, right? Wrong. Guile is, you don't want anybody to know what you're going through. You don't want anybody to know what you're thinking. You put on a show how far that goes. Listen, Christians ought to be so transparent, not too transparent, but so transparent that there's no difference between you on Sunday and Monday. And there's no difference between you in church or at home. There's no difference between you, between when you're with Christians and when you're alone. No guile. He says, put away hypocrisies. Now, how many of us? have seen people be hypocritical. I watch our Irish government go through hypo- hypocritical uh, cycles of things that just bother the fire fire out of me. They, they, they ban straws, and yet they give away, like they're candy, face masks that are on the ground and in trees and everywhere. And they will, it's hypocrisy, folks. Straws aren't polluting the planet like face masks are, but all hypocrisy. Christians aren't hypocritical. Yes, we are. And when you sense hypocrisy in your life, we need to lay it aside. Lay aside envies. Christians who are never content, they're always envying other people. And then evil speakings, probably our worst sin today is where we tear other people down, saying things that we know are evil and we shouldn't say. And these are the old bricks of our life. This is what we build our life with in order to get people to see us, the, uh, uh, the power that's in our words, the power that's in our attitude, we terrify people by our attitude sometimes. And those things have to be laid aside. Um, they need to be demolished. Let's go to Ephesians. Hold your place here. Go to the left. Find Ephesians chapter 4. Peter says it in 1 Peter. Paul says it in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. Ephesians 4:31. let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking there they are be put away from you oh and also with all malice he says put that stuff away you ever done that you ever tried to work on the stuff in your life that's a mess uh, God's working on it why don't you why don't you work on it somebody says I have so much trouble with my sins and my past well Work on it. Uh, If you've got, I mean, my grass kind of grows in spurts and things like this. I cannot just let my grass grow hoping some goat will come eat it. I've got to work on cutting it, fixing my lawn. It takes work. And the same thing is true with my tongue. Same thing is true with my thoughts. I'm in charge of what goes on inside of this cavern (laughs) called the brain. I'm in charge of what I allow come into my eyes, aren't I? You say well, I can't control everything I see. You can control what you want to see. Uh, tear down some things, so we can have a new church. Back, keep going to verse thirty-two. He continues. He says, "You tear all that stuff down." Verse thirty-two. So you can be kind to one another, tenderhearted, hearted forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Isn't it true? You can't be bitter and a blessing. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a wife being bitter. Here is your dinner. <laughs> Hope you choke. You cannot be bitter and a blessing. You can't be angry and kind. You can't be yelling and loud and aggressive and also be tender. You can't be saying evil things and then forgiving at the same time. One of them's got to go. And then thirdly, drawing your new life from the word of God. Back to Philippians. Philippians. I said Philippians. First Peter, sorry. First Peter chapter 2. as newborn babes, verse two. Brand new babies desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. If so be that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. Draw your new life from the word of God like a newborn baby draws from mama. Um, much of the Bible is like milk. It's e- there's a lot that's easy to understand. Don't be put off, don't go, oh, it's all confusing. No. A lot of it is like milk some of it is very clear some is like meat you have to chew on it for a while but it's all for our nourishment listen to matthew 4 4 can you can you remember it but he answered and said it is written man shall not live by bread alone but by Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. So I get my normal nourishment from bread and, and you know, butter and peanut butter and jam and, and cheese and whatever else. That's my sustenance. But I don't live on bread alone. I live by every word that came from the mouth of God. So just as, as a baby has to have that nourishment from milk, we've got to have our nourishment from the bible there's an interesting thing i thought about look there in verse 3 it says if so be you have tasted that the lord is gracious you won't desire and test yourself you will not desire this book if you have not become a newborn baby in christ if you're if you're still in your sins this book will not interest you but if you ever get saved if you ever get born again you will hunger for this book it is natural for a baby to want mama it is natural for a baby christian to want this bible so just take the test taste this book test it find out what it's like and i guarantee you if you'll believe it you will never you will never want to be away from it you may backslide but you know how far away you are from it and you'll know you always need to get back so then we're going to talk about building our life on the cornerstone now look back look in verse six we're going to jump down to verse six wherefore also it is contained in the scripture behold we're in first peter 2 i lay in zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and him that believeth on him shall not be confounded, we'd say confused. So, when we when we get saved, we clear away all the old baggage. We need to start building our life on the cornerstone. And when he's talking about a cornerstone, he's talking about a cornerstone of a temple. Um, let's uh, start off here with this this first thought here. Up until about 150 years ago buildings could only go so high and so large and things like this i mean some of them are massive but they were built without steel and and uh, steel girders and cross beams they were built with blocks with with stones and almost without exception a building that was meant to last always had a cornerstone (coughs) and that cornerstone is what jesus is compared to a cornerstone had to be perfectly cut and shaped it was not a generic, you just picked up a stone and then built around it. No, it was precisely uh, cut and, and, and laid so that the rest of the building would fall to the shape of its, of its initial shape, okay? All the construction rested on that cornerstone being exactly shaped right. It was not a decoration. Now, I've seen buildings where they'll put a cornerstone and it's just a decoration. But... If you're going when, to, when older buildings, you go to these huge buildings, you know, sometimes cathedrals and things like this, they, they, these master builders first start off, and Solomon was a master builder, they first start off with a cornerstone. And Peter says, Jesus is our cornerstone. He's more than our cornerstone, he's also the very foundation. Hold your place here and go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, <clears> 1 <throat> First, First Corinthians 3.9 says, For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, that's farm. So we're compared to being like growing plants. And ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, Paul's talking, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another is building thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Be careful how you build on this foundation. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, The foundation of a church is not Mary, not Pope Francis, not Pastor Ledbetter. Jesus gives the example of two men building their houses, one on sand and another on, what was it, a rock. he says he that built his house uh, upon a a rock is someone who heard my sayings and did what i said do the guy who built his house on sand built his house his, his beautiful house but ignored what i said and did his own thing and when the floods came and the rain came one house fell and he's defining he's saying build your life on me build your life on what i say not on what the world says not what your friends say not even what your heart says because jesus is the foundation and I'm gonna talk about this at the end. How many of you been watching that uh, Florida incident with that condominium? Can you imagine being in a condominium You're, where you live? And then there, one of the ladies was describing how she looked out her balcony in the pool at the bottom. She was up on 11th floor or whatever. She looked and the pool had collapsed, had caved in. And she said, she phoned her husband. She said, something's not right. Well, you know what the problem was? The entire building was shabbily designed but the foundation was crumbling it was falling to bits and hundreds of people had died they haven't found all the bodies you need a good foundation because too many lives are falling in and collapsing and examples like that are not well, well why is god loving this to wake us up we need to be reminded that unless you have a strong foundation that you build our feeble lives on We're going to crumble, we will collapse, we will fall. Jesus is that cornerstone. He's not just a cornerstone. He's a living stone. Look at verse 4. Back there in 1 Peter 2. To whom coming? As unto a living stone. Now this thought is, is pretty amazing. Because idols have eyes, don't they? You ever seen a statue and it's got eyes? You ever been in an art gallery? Or maybe you've seen a picture and you looked at it and the eyes were looking right at you and you moved over there and the eyes were following you. Did you ever see that? I mean, it's eerie. Some people can paint like that or draw and the eyes follow you. But it has no eyes, does it? It can't see. Statues and idols have ears, but they cannot hear. They're not alive. But Jesus Christ as our rock is alive. Deuteronomy 32, I know we're going back and forth, but like I said, there's a lot of neat things that are being tied together here that you need to, to, to know and appreciate about the church. Deuteronomy 32. There's some guy, how many of you know, there's a guy called The Rock. He's in the movies. I don't even know what his real name is. I don't know, whatever. Now, can you imagine a guy who was wimpy and four foot nine, and he, he you know, you wouldn't call that guy a rock, would you? No, this thought of a rock gives you the concept of how mighty God is, how strong he is, how able he is. Look at Deuteronomy chapter, what did I see? 32, verse 3 and 4. Deuteronomy 32, verse 3. Because I will publish the name of the Lord, ascribe ye the greatness, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. Make, make God known as great. Verse 4. He is the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are judgment a God of truth and without iniquity just and right is he he is the rock of Israel he's a promised Messiah Um, uh, and, and when it goes back go back now to 1 Peter chapter 2 we come here it says verse 4 to whom coming as unto a living stone yes disallowed indeed of men people don't like Jesus naturally but chosen of God and precious look in verse 6 wherefore it is also contained in Scripture behold I God lay in Zion I place in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded Jesus is a living stone he says there in verse 5 he's verse 6 I laid him in Zion That's a picture of him being laid in that grave. When when Jesus came to this world and people killed him, God was working out his plan where he says, when Christ died, I was laying the foundation. I was setting that cornerstone in Jerusalem to build my church on. And what's funny is he's called a living stone, which means he didn't stay dead, did he? So here's a stone that was laid, and yet it's alive. Psalm 18.2 says this, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my buckler, a shield, and the horn of my salvation. He's my high tower. That's how David calls him. He's a living stone. He's also the rejected stone. We read there in verse 4, he's disallowed of men. Disallowed is an older word. just means he wasn't allowed to be their savior. He wasn't allowed to be the cornerstone of their life. In other words, uh, a builder, a master builder would go into a rock quarry and he would pay specific rock cutters to go in and they would chisel and it would take And If you can imagine the building process, it was very long and and, and tedious and very hard. And these guys would cut out stones and they would bring the stone out and the master builder would come around and look at that thing and go, nah, it's not right. And now all that work would had to be throw, thrown aside and they would start over. Over in Egypt, there was a, uh, about, a, I don't know how many miles, but we'll say 20, 30 miles from uh, the pyramids, there is a place where they cut out the stones. You know what's funny? There are thousands of stones there that they rejected. They would cut them out of the quarry and they would bring them up in front of the master builder and he'd go, nah, bring me another one. <laughs> now here comes Jesus. And what did the Pharisees do? These guys who are supposed to be building the kingdom of God. What did the politicians do? What did, what did people do when Jesus was, was presented to them? Oh, they liked his miracles. Oh, he's a nice teacher. Oh, look, he does here, uh, miracles. These are, he, he feeds us. But when he stood there next to Pilate, everyone said, nah. He looks like a loser. Bring on the next one. You know what's terrifying? The next one's coming. He's called the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will be believed. He will be loved and adored by the whole world. Well, That's another story. But Jesus Christ was rejected across the board. Isn't that what Isaiah 53 says? He was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our face from him, He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We didn't think he was much to look at. How many religions actually follow Jesus? How many religions actually do what he says? Uh, You would think most Christians do, but they don't. Seventh-day Adventists actually follow a woman named Ellen G. White. They don't follow the Bible. Jehovah's Witnesses follow a guy named Charles Taze uh, Russell. Mormons follow Joseph Smith. Catholics follow all the church fathers and the popes. Protestants follow great theologians. No wonder there's so many religious wars. You wouldn't fight if you were following Jesus, would you? Evidently, Jesus, as he is in the Bible, is very offensive to people. And that brings on the next stone, 1 Peter 2.8. Look there in 1 Peter 2.8 says, He is a stone of Stumbling, We'd say a stumbling stone. A rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being themselves disobedient, whereunto they also were appointed. He's a stumbling stone. You know, that's why it's hard to give the gospel. Because when you put it out, they choke on it. It's like somebody just putting this stone out in the middle of the footpath. you got all these crowds and they come along. They're not even looking at, pow! They're, they're, they're knocked down onto their... Uh, onto their knees or they're, they're falling on the side and they go, ow, that wasn't fun. Wasn't that true when you got saved? That book humbled you. The, the gospel tripped you and, and exposed you and, and upset you. Amen. Because that's what Jesus does first. He has to humble us before he can save us. We can't come to God as, as good. We have to come to God as broken. He's a stumbling stone. So don't be be upset when a track that you leave in your home for your family or at work upsets somebody. That's what he does. He's a stumbling stone. And the whole purpose is to get them to get upset. The whole purpose of, of God fashioning his son as a man was to upset people. He's perfectly designed by God. I'll show that in just a minute to be a stumbling stone. Verse 4, look back there in verse 4. He says this, To whom coming here, when we come to him, we come unto a living stone. We're we're not going to a dead idol. Disallowed even of men, but chosen of God and precious. Jesus was was, was perfectly chosen, selected, before the world ever was created. Uh, he is exactly the size and the shape that God wanted all men and women everywhere to pattern their lives after. Is there any flaw in Jesus? Can you improve on Jesus? You can't. So he's the right size, he's the chosen stone to pattern our life after. And verse 7 says he's a precious stone. Verse, he actually says it over and over just for time. It says, Unto you therefore which believe, he is what? Precious. Now, precious, it's been abused. I mean, that stupid Lord of the Rings ruined the word precious. But the word precious means rare, priceless, of infinite value. It's, it's, it's the best. And Jesus is a precious stone. If you, um, uh, you ever saw maybe your grandparents, uh, your grandmother had maybe some jewelry, well, I bet she had one that was most precious to her. It probably maybe was given to her <coughs> by her mother or grandmother. But a precious stone. Jesus, out of all the people I know and of all the religions I've studied and everything in this world, Jesus stands out. He is precious, both to God and to the believer. And then lastly, he's the headstone. He goes on, the head of the corner, verse, verse 7, And to you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, well, the same as made the head, the top stone at the corner. Now, if you believe all of this, the building process will be easy. See, why does Peter start with Jesus in the building process? Because when you trust him as the pattern, when you trust him as perfect, you'll let him build you any way he wants. Because that's the hard part. When he puts, let's, put, let's make an example. Here's, here's Edward. Edward You're a brick in God's house. And when God picks up Edward, he places him wherever he thinks Edward needs to be. And it may be right next to George. And George and Ed Ed don't get along. God says, but that's where I want you. And then he puts pressure on you of other people and their burdens. And you wonder, why God? But that's the master, when you trust him as the builder, do you understand what I'm saying? You'll let him do with you and build you as he sees fit. That makes the second part so much easier. So now let's talk about assembly. Let's take our Bible, two verses real quick here. Hebrews, you're in 1 Peter, go back to Hebrews 10. Hebrews, James, and 1 Peter. So go back to Hebrews 10, 25. 10.25 says, not forsaking the what? Now normally when we think of assembling, we think of the gathering together. We've assembled today. Okay, that's okay, but that's not the real meaning. When he says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, it's the bringing and the building of us together into a church. Like a temple is built. Don't forsake God assembling us together. And what, go back to, uh, say, well show me that, show me that. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Look in verse 5. Ye also as lively. Okay, so in verse 4 it says we've come unto Jesus, the, the living stone, but we as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, by Jesus Christ so when he's assembling us he's building us together how many of you want God to build your life you want God to build my life but God doesn't only think of you doesn't only think of me he says I'll build you as I build you with others there are times where you need to be alone and God just deals with you alone but there's most of the time God puts you with people and he assembles and he fashions and he builds a church and he he says, he says we are lively stones which is kind of cool um, lively stones uh, a church is not supposed to be just a bunch of people gathering in a building a church is supposed to have people who have been made alive uh, lively stones are unusual the closest thing I can think of is a coral Ireland's got some ancient coral reefs off its cor- uh, coast uh, a coral reef is a rock reef that is alive it grows it adapts it expands it also dies but it's a living rock filled with these these sea animals and things that's as close as i could imagine um but we are not just people gathering but we are specially cut specially fashioned, specially molded to fit in a special, and a certain place so that this building comes together as a temple. So what's the purpose of our church? Now, again, we're not talking about the purpose of this building. The purpose of this building is so that we can meet, but we could, but a building can have anybody in it. A building can have a group of Satanists in it. That doesn't make it a church. This is not what's being built. What's being built is us. And what's the purpose of us being built and assembled together? Is so that we, as people, become a temple of God. Uh, we read that in Ephesians 2:21, "In whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord." Normal buildings don't grow, do they? It'd be really freaky if Eric and I came in one day and this wall was expanding. Okay, that'd be really really terrifying so normal buildings don't grow but God's church is supposed to grow adapt expand it's lively You ever been to some place and you said this place was dead don't ever let that be said about a church if this is a church full of lively stones our singing our joy our, our, our encounters and our time together ought to be lively we're called a spiritual house. Not a, not a physical house, like a cathedral, but invisible to the world. The world, if, if they took this building away from us, if persecution got so stiff that they forbid us to own this building, are we still the church? Could we meet out in the middle of a field and be church? Yes. Now, what is God building? There's nothing wrong with having a building. It's nice, especially when it rains. But this has taken our attention off of this we are we are a spiritual house that's what we've got to emphasize on when we gather together we're called the house of god and we're just as real as a skyscraper we're just as real as an apartment building we're just spiritual we're to be filled with a holy priesthood of believers a church is not a hierarchy well pastor you pray Pastor, you tithe. Pastor, you'll you be spiritual and we'll watch you. That's not a church. Do you know what the church is filled with? Priests. Don't turn your collar on backwards, okay? We are a, we are a, a house f- filled with priests. Uh, he says there in verse 5 again, He also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house where a holy priesthood. even later on he calls us a royal priesthood we're not spectators we're not observers but we're lively worshipers if you ever lived back at the time of Jesus's day the temple was a very busy place except for the Sabbath and even on the Sabbath there were things going on it was super busy at the temple And, and, and there was worship going on as a matter of fact since the time of David, a thousand years earlier, there were groups of men and women singers who sang to each other across the courtyard as people came in bringing their offerings and, and, and approaching the priest and giving their offerings for sacrifice. The singing going on there was heavenly, it was unmatched anywhere else. The, 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 the worship that was going on was active, it was lively, it was filled with activity, it was not just stones. And all those priests were busy going around. And and Jesus got very upset, not because of all the busyness, but because they changed from being busy in worship to busy in money making. Remember that? And he throws the tables over and he makes a whip and drives out all the money changers because that place was supposed to be a place of direct worship of God and prayer. Most churches have people, but those people are barely there. If they are there, they're inconsistent, they're unfaithful. Most spiritual people who go to church, their heart is far from God. Many don't know God. And they rely on the spirituality of their religious leaders, never developing their own. Yet Jesus is building a house filled with people who are called priests. Now, the purpose of a priest, the purpose of a priest was a mediator who could take somebody who's done some sin and they say, I, I've, I've got to get right with God. And that priest would look it up in the book of Leviticus. How do you get right with God? Would go to Exodus and Deuteronomy and say, all right, you need this sacrifice. You need to lay your hands on that sacrifice. You need to uh, confess that sin and let that sacrifice, that animal take your place in death and you can go away free. And that priest made it possible for that person to be able to draw a to God again. Do you know none of us need that anymore? None of us need a guy in a, in, a, in a dress acting as our mediator. We are priests. We all can draw an eye to God. We are a holy priesthood of believers. You don't need pastor to come and pray for you to get you right with God. I may pray with you, but I'm just gonna say, you need to talk to God. And because of one thing, Jesus Christ, our perfect high priest, Our one mediator, he's made it possible for all of us to go straight to God and and to relate to him. Ignore that, all right? The devil will show anything to to distract on a message. But here is the concept. I have one mediator, Jesus Christ. And he says, "Um, uh, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes into the Father but by, by me. So if I am away from God, I, like a priest, can go right into the temple, straight to the throne of God and say, God, please forgive me, and I'm back close again. Next time you meet a priest, you know what you need to be able to say? You're out of a job. I don't need you. I don't need all of your ceremonies and traditions and prayers and lists. I have Jesus Christ. He told me I can go straight to the Father. Um, We're also a chosen generation. He says, "Ye um, uh, also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer. Up. Oh, by the way, I didn't say, what kind of sacrifices do we offer up? You know what the hardest sacrifice to, to give to God? Is your life. Now, he doesn't ask you to die. What does he call it in Romans chapter 12? A living sacrifice where you say, Lord, I'll live for you. Other sacrifices you can give is praise, the Bible says, where you th- are thankful when you don't feel like it. See, a sacrifice is something you give that costs you something. But we offer spiritual sacrifices. But let me move, make this thing. It goes on. It says, uh, verse, um, verse 7. I'm oh, sorry, verse 8. Oh, let's see, no, verse 9. I had to jump down. And, but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'll wrap this up with some thoughts here. Chosen generation is amazing. In every period of time in history, God calls a generation to make a difference. Every time, there's not, well, that was back then. Oh, well, pastor, when you got saved, it was different. And, oh, well, back 150 years ago, there were revivals in Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland. And this generation needs to rise up. We are chosen by God to reach this world. We are a chosen generation. If I, and we're not going to do it because it's, it's it's, it's not what we're being told to do. But when you think of a temple, we think of building a literal temple. If I went and I built this temple and it was, you know, 100 feet high and 60 feet wide and 200 feet long and all this stuff, and it was all beautiful ordinate. When people saw it, they go, what is that? What's going on there? It would attract attention. It would, it would say, what's going on there? And, and that temple is, 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 is selected location-wise and, and set-wise to get people's attention. We are selected. I don't want you to get the idea we have to build a temple. We have to build our lives so that people see us that we've been chosen to make a difference in this world today and we do it together. It's not, it's not pastor, well you, you were called and I wasn't. That is so wrong. We've all been called, not to pastor or sometimes not to preach, or, but we've all been called to assemble and to be part of something that God calls a church. A chosen generation, he goes on, if I can get my next word, a holy nation. That's kind of important. God says he wants his temple to be filled with holy people. A cleaned group of people. Um, Folks, uh, I I hope you want, now there's nobody perfect and there's nobody who's not going to have problems. But I hope you want to know that in a church there are people who live better than we did before we were saved. And that people should know a church is not like a nightclub. And a church is not just like any old other society in the world, but that we have holy people, and our desire is to be holy and clean and right. And we are a holy nation. Uh, What nation do we live in? Trick question. The Republic of Ireland, right? But that's not our nationality, is it? What citizenship do we have? In The kingdom of God. So if we were in Moscow... If we were in the Congo, whatever nation we're in, we should be the nation. We should be a holy nation. The people who gather together are a nation. In America, we have this concept, Canada has this concept of a nation within a nation. They're called Indians. The American Indians, when you go onto their tribal land, they set the rules, they make their own taxes, they have their own people that is a nation within a nation that's what the church is outside these walls they may make rules they may say things but we follow a different rule book don't we we're a nation in a nation we are a holy nation we're not just trying to defy and say we're not gonna have you over us no 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 we allow them to tell us what to do as long as it doesn't cross the Bible but we have a status of of nationhood the world doesn't understand lastly we are a peculiar people probably the most fun word in there is peculiar it simply means we're strange all right we're strange to the outside world we're unusual we're not like the culture around us i know people you know the more people get popular you ever notice how they change their hairstyles their clothes how many remember this weird group called jedward What in the world happened to them? You know what happened? They wanted to do something that nobody else did, so they made all their hair go straight up, all eight inches of it, all right? And everybody went, oh, cool, oh, cool. People pay good money to do weird things when we are naturally weird. (laughs) We are peculiar. You don't even have to try if you just start following Jesus, you start living in this book, people are going to go, you're weird. I didn't have to pay for it. I step out of the line. I'm living in a different nation. I do things differently because I'm part of a temple that worships God. It's called the church. We're described as a temple. The Holy Spirit of God is in us. And together, we are the temple of the living God. When we gather and when we assemble, it says we're growing into this temple. We're not finished yet. We're not perfect. We are a church, but he's building us into a place where worship takes place. Now, this afternoon, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fellowship. Not going to be worship. Right now, even now, is not proper worship. Do you know when you get around other christians it ought to stir in you a, a love for god and a thankfulness to god and a humbleness in, in in appreciation for how good god is to you that's the purpose of our gathering together is so that we just stir each other up to worship like it would be, how many ever years ago when you went in, I hope you don't do it too often, now unless it's a wedding or a funeral, but when you go into a cathedral, what did everybody sort of feel? Oh, this is a place of worship. All right, well, when you come to this building, the building should not cause you to want to worship. Other Christians should, who are being assembled together with you and built into this awesome thing called church. So construction begins with three things. I said it, number one, starting all over. You've got to be born again. If you're just attending church, you are not getting anything out of it. it, it, It's it's not going to fix you. It's not going to help you. It's actually going to discourage you, and you'll leave. But if you get born again, if you taste that the Lord is gracious, and that he wants to save you, if you just taste that, you'll never turn away from God's word. So it starts over abandons the old, when God exposes through preaching and the Bible some sin in your life, you lay it aside so that you can just live by the word, which is a whole pulpit this, this year. And then you build your life on Jesus Christ as lively stones. You're not just a hole in the wall, a brick in the wall. You're not just a, um, uh, you know, somebody sitting in a chair. Any stone can be put somewhere and left there and forgotten and it, it, it means nothing. But when it's alive, when it adapts when it helps support those above when it pulls up those behind when it gets along with the other stones along with it and it brings more stones into the wall that's what a church is and to be a spiritual house wouldn't it be nice if we always knew this place was a spiritual gathering that's why we don't have drum sets that's why we don't really compete with the world. There's no way to compete with the lights and the flash and the money of the world. So we don't, why even think about it? We are a, they can be all they want to be, emotionally, physically, ecumenically. We are spiritually the house of God. We're filled with the holy priesthood believers. Every one of us can pray for one another, but every one of us can go directly to the throne of God. Let us come boldly under the throne of His mercy. Because of Jesus Christ. We're a chosen generation for this day. Gavin, you and I are alive now for this day. I wish that there were some great preachers like days of old here today. They're not. They're dead. They're gone. It's us now. We're a chosen generation. We're a holy nation. Now let's go ahead and be peculiar, amen. But I want to say this. This is... Serious work going on. Go to we'll finish with 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Whoever whatever company and people were involved in building that condominium over there in Florida, somebody didn't take their job uh, seriously, did they? The materials they used, what's this mica? Problem up in in Donegal and and Mayo and uh, the northern uh, counties here in Ireland. Somebody put in cheap quality brick, didn't they? Somebody needs to answer for all of that. Somebody needs to answer for, and there's another condominium that everybody was evacuated because it was built by the same company with the same specs. Well, look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Know ye not, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? It goes on. If any man defile the temple of God, you mess with God's building. Him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. So let's take what God is doing very seriously. This is not just a take it or leave it situation. This is life and death. Our families, our society. Our generation. Father, you take everything serious. You in, in, in the bringing forth your son as a baby, perfectly designed to come in as a weak infant into this world, brought in through poverty, brought through in a small little insignificant country called Israel, never owned anything more than the clothes on his back, and yet Jesus, the living stone, the perfect cornerstone, laid down his life so that our lives could be built on him and that our lives could be built right no guesswork no failures Lord as we see you working in our midst as a church I pray that we would see it's not just fellowship not just preaching but it is worship it is so this place is a spiritual house a house of prayer and praise Lord, I pray we take it seriously. We don't let the world defile, muck up, and ruin what you've been doing. And if there's anybody that needs something worked on their life, Lord, so that we can lay aside stuff that would that would intermix. If we brought an attitude of of evil speaking into our church and we just started tearing one another down, it would ruin the whole building. Put the fear of God in us so that we never do that, Lord. We love you. I need you to. Help us make some commitments this morning. We're going to allow you to build this church to be a holy temple unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.